0: Welcome
1: to the South Asian Studies at Stanford podcast, also known as the SAS Pod. I am Lalita Duparan, Associate Director in the Center for South Asia. All our podcasts and information about the Center are available at SouthAsia.Stanford.edu. Today, I am joined on the Southpod by Eduardo Acosta. He is a Mellon Fellow at the Stanford Humanities Center and a lecturer in the History Department at Stanford. He teaches a class called History and Time in South Asia, and we will indeed be talking about history and time in South Asia um eduardo you told me when we met that you had two big aspirations in life and one of them was to be on the SASPOD. pod now i don't know whether to be flattered or tell you that you should aim higher mm-hmm. but i'm going with the former so thank you that is such a fantastic compliment and i am delighted to host you thank you for joining me today how are you
0: I'm I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you so much for having me. It's literally a dream come true. So yeah, I'm I'm really uh, fascinated about being here. Thank you so much.
1: It's amazing. Um, Before we delve into your research and teaching, and we're going to spend a lot of time today on those items, but can you introduce yourself like in broad terms to our listeners?
0: Sure. Um, so I'm a doctor in South Asian languages and civilizations I got my PhD from the University of Chicago in 2022 the summer of 2022 I defended um, congratulations
1: and, that's very recent
0: thank you yeah yeah it was it was it was good then I stay for uh, a year teaching uh in Chicago uh uh, uh course on the co- in the college but also I taught Sanskrit which is always a uh, yeah, always fills me with, you know, good vibes and everything um, to teach some Sanskrit. Uh, and then I came here, uh, as you mentioned, uh, I'm a Mellon Fellow of a Scholars in the Humanities. This is a postdoctoral program. I'll be here at Stanford for, for three years. And um, yeah, um, my research and my main interests are Basically, uh, early modern, by which I mean 17th, 18th century, even 19th century, early colonial as well, Uh, early modern, early colonial Bengal, um, notions of temporality, um, conceptualizations of history, environmental history is a huge interest for me. And as I mentioned, uh, Sanskrit literary cultures, uh, specifically, of course, uh, late uh, Sanskrit culture in Bengal. so yeah, those are my main interests for 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 my career. There's, yeah,
1: those sound um a, a big, and I I want to zoom in a little bit. They sound very meta, I guess. Um, but before I ask you about that, tell me a little bit about uh, teaching Sanskrit, because I know it's it's something that f- you said fills you with joy. Which I don't know if Sanskrit and joy are always in the same sentence for many people. What what makes it so joyful for you, and what what are some of the texts that you really enjoy teaching?
0: Um, yeah, I know that. Yeah, Sanskrit and joy usually don't go you know, <laughs> uh, very well. But actually, uh, I think in the classes that I taught, uh, me and the students would really enjoy. Uh, many classes that have I have taught uh, involve a certain. I mean, m- many of them are requirements for the students. Um, so whether they're happy to take them or not, it doesn't matter. They have to take those courses. Uh, Sanskrit is completely different uh right. at least in, in Chicago uh, nobody is required to, right. to to have Sanskrit even for students doing a sodassia major or even minor the the requirement is to have one Asian languages uh language so it doesn't have to be Sanskrit uh, so when you go uh, into a Sanskrit class you know that the students are there because they actually want to learn Sanskrit yeah, yeah. Uh, and that motivation really changes the vibe the pace of the course Um, and what you are teaching it's it's completely different um besides uh i mean it's very well known that uh a great way of learning more learning deep uh, deeper is to teach so i learned so much more sanskrit uh, by teaching uh, in this uh, in this last year that I was teaching Sanskrit, so yeah, it, it was a really uh, a great joy to teach Sanskrit there. Yeah,
1: I, I remember um, taking Sanskrit, and I'd studied growing up in Holland. You know, all sorts of modern languages, but I'd also studied Latin and ancient Greek at school at high school. So I was like, well, how hard can this be? And whoa, Which... <laughs> uh, I yeah, for me learning Sanskrit, and not that I ever quote-unquote learned it uh, but studying sanskrit um felt like much more like an um, experience of math than language to me like it it required a part of my brain that that i just um felt i didn't have immediate access to so but yes yeah, very enjoyable nonetheless
0: yeah indeed and i mean it's a great access to i mean obviously great uh literary works and uh, yeah. you know a whole mindset so yeah yeah yeah,
1: so yeah, yeah absolutely absolutely um so perhaps the easiest way of finding out more about your your kind of delving in a little bit deeper into your work is to ask you what your PhD was about. It's a horrible question. I apologize. But, you know, because now I'm asking you to condense, what, seven years of your life into about five minutes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> No, it's 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 a great question. Thank you for asking Thank that. Uh, I, I'm gonna do my best to summarize uh, that. Thank you. Um, basically, my my dissertation was a genealogy of the idea of the medieval in Bengal during the 19th and 18th uh, and 19th centuries. Uh, by this, I mean uh, was I was tracing the idea of the medieval by looking at the role that the history of the district of Nodia in central Bengal, now in western Bengal, um, like the role that this uh, region had in colonial historiography of the pre-modern past of Bengal. Uh, I did this by looking at two aspects of the history of Nodia. One is the environmental history actually of the region, um, specifically the encounter with the landscape and more specifically with the ever shifting rivers of Bengal, uh, which uh, you and your audience know, um, they always shift course from one season to the next, even from one day to the next. Uh, The rivers are always uh, shifting courses. Um, So in this part of my dissertation, uh, I was asking questions like how this different natural temporality, the the fact that the rivers move so quickly, uh, was gradually conceptualized as part of a teleological understanding of history, by which I mean that in the second half of the 19th century, the inability to control and manage the rivers and their shifting, Mm -hmm. the inability of past regimes like the Mughals or later the little kingdoms of Nawabi Bengal was itself seen as a sign of the medievality, let's call it, of those routines. Um, the second aspect I look of the history of Nodia was uh, the cultural and literary history of the region. Um, the, the basic question was like how uh, the court's, courtly culture and the literary status were gradually conceptualized, as, again, as backwards, as medieval in 19th century Bengal. Uh, of course, this was not uh, a straightforward process. There were many debates about what constituted the medieval in literary culture and what was uh, inno- what was innovative, what was modern, what was not. Um, so I trace all those debates uh, through the region of Nodia. And yeah, I think I could say that yeah, that was basically my my dissertation. As you mentioned, like seven years of my life went <laughs> went into that. Yeah.
1: Um so let's can we talk quickly about um your use of the word medieval which um i i think for me i mean it's it's so it from european perspective it's a time period kind of 500 1500 bc broadly um but it's also an adjective meaning uh, pre-modern um you use the word backward already yeah, uncivilized you're in need of all sorts of uh, fixing and also i guess the enlightenment you seem to use it a little bit in that sense in the way that the the, the regimes were unable to control the rivers, but who was then making that judgment and, and what are other uses of the word in in, temp, in temporal terms medieval in India does not mean the same as medieval in Europe, so can you just clarify the use a little bit more.
0: Of course. I mean, as, as you know, the institution studies and, in, and in Indology, uh, over two centuries, the, uh, there has been a lot of discussion. What, what constitutes, constitutes the medieval, right. um, especially in the 19th, sorry, in the 20th century, in Marxist, Marxist scholarship, uh, to develop whether India had a medieval period or, right. or not, uh, right. what's, what's really important. My use of the term is, uh, as you mentioned, um, uh, more broad uh and actually you 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 put your finger on, on it uh, uh i'm looking at the tension between uh, using the medieval as a temporal marker as a period as a periodization device uh something to divide between the modern and the pre-modern um but also the uh, the use as an adjective um uh so i i, I try to trace that tension uh between just taking the medieval as meaning whatever came before uh, the onset of British colonialism in Bengal, and this whole set of attitudes about uh, on looking at the past of the region and finding them, as I mentioned, backwards. Um, so, so yeah, I uh, uh, responding to to your question about who uses the the, the medieval at the beginning is obviously. Um, I mean, all this is found in the colonial archive. And at the beginning, uh, I traced this idea, mailing gazetteers um, written by colonial officers, British officers. Um, but as the 19th century advances, the idea of the medieval is slowly uh, permeating into uh, Bengali writers themselves. Uh, so they just begin to adopt the idea of the middle Period uh, to describe uh, some of the cultural past of Bengal. So there's a tension there between uh, finding whatever they thought was the middle or like uh, whatever came before uh, British colonialism, mm. and and you know the, the the use of a category like historical category that is as you mentioned not indigenous to India, um, but that that was a really Productive debate throughout the 18th and 19th centuries. That's what I what I trace. Um, but in summary, yes, my my use of the, of the word medieval is more like an adjective rather than uh, a very uh, staunch marker of a of a of a period in history. Yes.
1: Thank you so much for uh, for clarifying that. So, is your um. Is your melon work, would you say, is that a continuation of your PhD or are you starting to look at something? New? Your PhD sounds so incredibly dense that I wonder how are you going to, like, it feels like there's five books in there. So are you taking a particular part of it? I want to ask you much more about the rivers. Um, so maybe we can start with that, unless that's not part of your melon work at all. Well, you know what? i still want to ask about it and then we can get to the melon later if the rivers aren't part of it. I'm fascinated by this idea of the rivers shifting course all the time. I mean, I guess I know that, but I also wonder what it looks like in terms of what people do with the land around it then. So are people permanently in danger of being flooded? Is that the idea? And then the idea of controlling it and isn't, was the idea at the time that controlling the rivers, nature was a sign of, being civilized quote-unquote that was the modern whereas uh-huh. now we know that the evils that le- that that come out of that in terms of climate change and and so how how does that all sit in your work
0: uh that's a great question thank you so much um first uh yeah you're right uh the dissertation is too broad uh i came here uh, in stanford with a project of uh taking the part of my dissertation and trying to turn that into a new book project. Um, and uh, because I'm really, really also interested in this idea of environmental history and I found the idea of the uh, shifting rivers really productive. Mm-hmm. Um, 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 I decided to to go with that part of my dissertation. Um, for okay. Both- so
1: the, the rivers are still very much part of what you work on.
0: Yeah, exactly. Okay, great. Uh, I, I decided to forego a bit the, the, the second aspect of my dissertation, the cultural aspect. It's there in some capacity, but um, but yeah, uh, my main work in this uh, next three years will be to turn the first part, the idea of the Rivers uh, shifting uh, into a whole book. Mm-hmm. Um, in regards to your second question, um, yeah that's that's part of why I, I I'm trying to discuss in in the book how this encounter with new temporalities um kind of sip into the whole idea of historical time um yeah I think that in the beginning in the 18th century um, British officers and especially surveyors uh going into the you know, into the rivers, into the regions of Bengal, outside of Calcutta, were fascinated by the idea that rivers just change so quickly, and uh, there have many descriptions of whole villages moving into these uh, new islands that emerge in the rivers, uh, islands of, of formed by silt, by sand um, carried by the waters. Um, so they were fascinated at the this uh, very past pace of living in one place and then moving the next season to the next uh, uh, to, to another island in a different river or or even the fact that you know a great city like the capital of uh, of uh, Sultanate Bengal uh, Gore uh, could be wiped out in you know a couple of years um they were fascinated by by, by this encounter with uh, that different temporality. That was marked by the rivers uh, and not by you know any other uh, element. Uh, uh, this this capital city core was abandoned and uh, deserted after the river moved its own course. And because I mean, when the river changes course, some water gets uh, left behind, and that waters gets uh, badly that goes bad, and there's uh, it's a breeding ground for cholera and malaria and all those things. So, so yeah i mean uh gore was deserted because uh, there was a, a a cholera epidemic uh so people had to leave the place so colonial officers were fascinated by these events uh, again uh, who, uh, the rivers had a, a lot to do with that um so in a way it's also my project is about entering that uh, temporal experience uh, not only discussing the Big meta narratives of history, but also going into the temporal experiences that the river uh, presented of uh, these colonial officers. Sadly, we don't have that many sources that could tell us about the temporal experiences of people living uh, in 18th century Bengal along the rivers. Um, uh, I'm hoping to find more, but uh, most of the archive. Uh, Revolves around the, the the experiences of these colonial officers going around and finding this this strange temporalities caused by the rivers shifting.
1: You think? I mean, I'm sitting here thinking about water from a Dutch perspective. I mean, we we grew up, and I'm sure this is still very much the 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 mindset in the Netherlands that water is there for us to control it, because it's 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 us or it, right? <laughs>
0: right. <laughs> so yeah. if you
1: don't control water in the Netherlands, you, you're done. Um, but do you think controlling water is is a colonial preoccupation? Is it something about that? I mean, nature, yes, but I'm talking about water in particular. Is there something there? Or is that just my kind of Dutch mind that's going there now?
0: No, no, it's definitely the uh, the colonial preoccupation, as you mentioned. Um, I mean, you see that in the gazetteers, you see that in hydrological reports. Um, that they're really concerned about the silting of the rivers and the mm-hmm. channels. Um, they're really concerned about uh, Calcutta losing, um, you know, water flow from the Bagiroti river. Um, of course it, it uh, what it causes is if the channels do not carry enough water, uh, then the boats and the ships cannot go all the way where they needed to, to, to get. Um, so yeah, it is a, it's a, it's an important preoccupation. Um, and also in the 18th and 19th century, another thing comes up is that uh, and this has been worked before, uh, but the fact that the rivers move so much and the the, the space of the land, of the landscape basically also changes so much that also uh that also troubles the idea of property and property lines. Uh if my property is demarcated by the river, but the river move, what happens with the new land that emerge when the river move? Um, So yeah, there's a, a whole set of uh, administrative issues and anxieties, I would say, about the rivers moving. And yes, like trying to control the movement is uh, it's a really uh, it's a it's a colonial preoccupation for sure. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. I mean, I'm sure our thinking and I want to ask you about climate change has been very much in kind of in our lifetime, been informed by seeing what trying to control nature uh, or not working with nature, um, what that can come to. Do you you go there in your book, environmental? you You mentioned environmental history, but I don't know to what extent environmental justice comes into that.
0: Um, yeah this is something that I'm still working on um definitely climate change and our current climate crisis was a uh, well, a motor for for me to to study this um I mean I always been interested in uh, environmental history animal studies basically the non-human um part of a scholarship um but as I was Studying the history of the region, I found a lot of writing around the rivers, so I thought, okay, something's going on with the rivers. Right. Um. So, so that was a way for me to combine these uh, preoccupations with environmental history and this particular region that I wanted to study. Um. But mainly, I think that uh, I could describe my project, both my dissertation and not my book project as a kind of a preoccupation to history size, the divide between human and natural history. Like we know that our current climate crisis has made us to finally acknowledge that human and natural history are not two separate the strands of history uh, we are very much involved with. Uh, you just mentioned California, like, you know, about this lake that emerged uh, in central California that was, that was there before. And now it's there again because of the rains and now there's a lot of uh, uh of land underwater and some people are happy and some people are really unhappy right. um so yeah my, my my idea was to i mean we know we know now that uh natural and human history are super interconnected but when exactly that divide between natural and human history started so that was my 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 main motive, uh, I would say, uh, to try to historicize this, this division in outside of Europe, basically, and in Bengal. Um, yeah.
1: Um, I know that you um you think in a big topics. We get we get a sense of that already. You're you're clearly uh, somebody who who likes to think big. Um, and I feel that that's also very much evidenced in the title of your course, which is History and Time in <laughs> South Asia. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, it's not like you look at that in the course list and be like, that's a snazzy little title. You know, let's let's see what happens there. Um, it feels like five lifetimes of projects are in that title. What do you do in that class? Can you give me the kind of the elevator, slow elevator pitch?
0: Of course. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm... <laughs> usually really bad with titles of anything oh. um so so this is actually the second iteration of the title of the title of that class the title uh-huh. of that class i think the first title uh of that class which i taught in yushikawa was something like um experiencing experiencing and thinking time in so they through the ages of antiquity to modern or something it was really long really right, really long
1: right so, so this is, it, then history and time is snazzier for sure
0: <laughs> hopefully yeah let, let's let's see um but yeah the, the class is a. Uh, it could be it could be taken as an introduction actually to south asia uh uh-huh. it, the class is open to undergrads and grads um as you know uh the idea of history and time in south asia was one of the most uh contentious and uh points in indology and colonial historiography and later in modern scholarship, uh, the discussion whether India had history or not, um, whether uh, India had a cyclical notion of time versus the teleological or linear uh, notion of time in Europe, and a lot of those arguments were. Uh, Used to justify the colonial project
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, so uh, when we think of India we usually think of this idea of cyclical time and, uh, and the fact that events of personal events don't matter in the big scheme of things because again cyclical times and like super long yugas and super long spans of time uh, in the billions of uh, years uh, so with this class I wanted to provide a more nuanced introduction to these debates um, to actually go and and ask the question like does India have history? Um, What is the notion of cyclical time? Is it really that different uh, from the notion of uh, linear time in Western Europe? Mm. Um, Is India really exceptional in thinking uh, or at least ancient India was really exceptional in thinking true cycles of time or is it something that we can find elsewhere in the world um and uh because we don't have the sources but at least in, for the 19th century part of that class uh, I also wonder and teach about the experiences of time how do, what does it mean to you know to live in colonial calcutta in the 19th century uh and facing the fact that now the Bengalis have to go to work at that office from 9 to 5, mm. right? Uh, and how that history of time, of clock time, is also gender. I mean, men used to go to the office, but what about women? Uh, what was their experience of time? So all in all, it's a class that covers, yes, a lot of ground uh, from antiquity to colonial times. Um, But yeah, the main thread is about... Uh, experiences of time, like how to get into that, um, the, let's say, mindscape of time, how to inquire about uh, different notions of articulation of the past, the present and the future. Yeah.
1: When you say time is cyclical, um, yes, um, but different religious traditions look at that differently. So do you delve into that a little bit as well?
0: Yes, um, I have a, a comparative component to the class, uh, which I like to call uh, other latitudes different times, uh, in which I uh, I try to give my students uh, a reading, uh, either a secondary uh, uh, reading or, or a primary source, uh, Looking at a different temporal culture elsewhere, um, I have readings on, uh, of course, I, I have a, a, this uh, really uh, well-known uh, description of uh, time by Augustine uh, in, the, uh, in the medieval period in Europe. I have notions of, uh, I have readings uh, looking at the Seleucid Empire uh, probably in the sixth uh, century. Um, yeah, I have different components, like uh, comparative components, uh, looking at other temporal cultures outside of India, and uh, but also even looking at Europe. Um, so yeah, I do look at uh, at how other cultures might have thought about cyclical time, uh, not only India. So yeah.
1: Yeah, but what what about within India itself? Like, do, do the Buddhists think about time the way the Hindus think about time, the way Jains think about time? Are these comparative, or do we see a lot of nuance there as well?
0: But there's a lot of uh, overlapping, of course, but uh, uh, in the last iteration of this class that I taught, uh, students were also wondering about Buddhist time. Um, so I think for this class in Stanford, uh, the idea of Buddhist time or Jain time will definitely make a uh, an apparition there, because uh, before I had not looked into that a lot, uh, but I think it's important to also understand uh, the differences, the nuances and the overlappings of uh, of these notions. It, as, as I said, there are overlappings, uh, but there's a really important difference that uh, we should take into account, uh, at least for the class, yes.
1: Um, if uh, people are curious about time in Islam, uh, at least as it lives in Pakistan, um, I would refer you to the podcast I did probably a, a year and a half ago with uh, Dr. Ali Kazmi. Um, so you can scroll on the list of uh, SassPod episodes and and find that as well, because we... Uh, We talked about that at length uh, in terms of the cyclicality of the moon. uh, And that was uh, really fascinating as well. And maybe, I don't know, another addition to your class. Um, Let's talk about time because I feel, um, okay, how to word this? I I feel um, that this um, preoccupation or maybe even obsession with time and timeliness uh, is is a, a a global North or Northern European? Um, I want to say white, but I feel it's smaller than that. Mm-hmm. A prerogative. Um, I feel so many cultures. I mean, you already alluded to that, but not not just historically, like even in the current moment, cultures think differently about time and. For me, the, the the life that I've been socialized in, those cultures, those groups are always depicted as as somehow less than. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm throwing air quotes in, and uh, my listeners can't see that. Uh, less than in quotes, uh, not developed, not modern, and not efficient. There's a humor in that, like you know, in the idea of Indian stress uh, stretchable time or mm-hmm. um, th- different ways that people express that. But it's it's not never quite as good as whatever regular time is what are your views on that and and how does that play out in your class
0: i think that's uh one of the more most important components of the class i uh, do i mean you're right uh even now we use uh, adjectives like primitive or backwards like uh, so easily yeah uh we dismiss uh, other cultures or even not even at the level of cultures, but even like at the personal level, you mm-hmm. would say, oh, that's backwards, which is a temporal term at the end of the day. Right. Uh, even though right. You, have, you might be referring to, I don't know, their political affiliations or something like that. You are doing that through, uh, with temporal term, you're saying that's primitive, that's that's medieval, that's feudal. Uh, the idea that those things uh, belong to a different time, not ours. Um, so for the class, uh, One of the main goals, I would say, is to uh, have students realize that that those terms carry that sense of temporality, that uh, there's a temporality that had been uh, construed and we have adopted and we used, uh, and that it would be good to question that temporality. It would be good to question why we think that the idea of cyclical time might be primitive or uh, the idea of... Of I don't know, just a different temporality might not work for us, but in reality, we do live in different temporalities with different uh, time orders all the time. Uh, I mean, we we are scholars. We most likely our lives our lives are ruled by you know the calendar app in our phones. Um, but when it comes to summer, maybe it's not the same, right? Maybe you don't have to go. To a meeting at eleven o'clock or something like that. Uh, mm-hmm. When we take a vacation, um, it might not be the same for a farmer uh, here in California, even. Um, so even though we are living in the same space at the same time, our temporal experience is not the same. Um, uh, even for us. Um, so, yeah, I think the the main goal of the class could be. You know, to questions those those ideas, to to look at temporal cultures and see how uh, pervasive they are. Uh, but how also how can we how can we unpack those notions and you know put them on the table and look and see? Well, you know, even these temporal terms like the idea of using primitive or medieval as an adjective, uh, they do also have a history. Uh, maybe yeah, let's look at the history and see what that history can tell us about our own time so yeah
1: it sounds absolutely amazing um i love that you mentioned uh, how uh, gendered time is i think that's uh, so important to be aware of that because i think often when we talk about the human experience we're actually talking about the male experience right um especially as it and um, not just in the modern world but yeah with the way you brought in the office i love that um and um I also want by the time this podcast drops, the clocks will have just gone back in the United mm-hmm. States and right. we will all be completely lost, right that that one day where nobody really knows what time it is. half our um appliances do it automatically um I will sit in my car and we for- will I forgot I go through this twice a year.
0: <laughs> That's right yeah I yeah.
1: don't remember how to change the clock and I have to go through that all again. Um so even though we think we're so very advanced uh, twice a year, we uh, all get completely lost with time. Um, when is this class taught, Eduardo, uh, in case um, uh, some of our listeners are students who want to enroll?
0: Uh, I'll teach this class in the spring quarter this year. Uh, okay. And I, I don't exactly remember the schedule, but I think it's Tuesday and Thursdays. So I have to to check on that but but yes, yeah, definitely in the spring quarter this.
1: okay people spring yeah. 2024 if you are at stanford uh please enroll in history and time in south asia with dr acosta um i guess i should have let this podcast run for three hours just to show that we are not bound by uh the restriction of time but um i think most people would find that annoying <laughs> so yeah. Uh, we're gonna wrap it up here I also don't want to take um, more of your very valuable time Um, thank you so much for talking to me today about your work and thank you for allowing me to uh, fulfill one of your dreams I don't think that I've often done that for people well
0: quite the contrary thank you for having me it was it was great to to chat with you today
1: um, as always gratitude to Som Shiva for creating the music of the SASPOD and to Nilofar Saraj as she continues to do our post-production. Thank you for listening to the SASPOD, the South Asian Studies at Stanford podcast. Find out all about the Stanford Centre for South Asia at southasia.stanford.edu and find us on social media. We are on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Thank you for joining us and I hope you can tune in again soon.